Hello and welcome back to the last uh, Ireland Fans podcast of the international year. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website. I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. And we're going to cast our eyes back over the last four senior internationals played by Stephen Kenny's team. In case you need reminding, it was a 1-0 loss to Armenia, a 1-0 loss to Ukraine, a 3-0 victory against Scotland, and finally a one-all draw against Ukraine, all in the UEFA Nations League. I think this is going to be one of our longest episode, lads. Uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. How are you both doing? Yeah, all good, Joe. Yeah, looking forward to kind of running the rule over these four fixtures. How are you, lads? Yeah, looking forward to the chat. Bit of a Jekyll and Hyde podcast coming up, I think. <laughs> Let's get started with the first of the quadruple header, which was Armenia, a team we've only played twice before with two victories and a first trip to Yerevan since September 2010 when Keith Fahey's first international goal defeated the, uh, the Armenians. But on this occasion, despite dominating possession and all of the, the stats that usually point towards uh, a victory, possession, passes, passes completed, Stephen Kenny's men were defeated by Armenia. Now, this came after the two games in March, the two-all draw with Belgium, and the defeat of Lithuania. Fans were coming into this game, which we considered one of the easiest games we were going to have, not only in the quadruple header, but in the Group B1 of the, the UEFA Nations League. We were expecting a win. We were expecting a good performance. And, Mark, it's fair to say we got neither. None of the play that we've seen from Stephen Kenny's team towards the end of last year and at the beginning of this year was in evidence. The Ireland team looked... Laboured and tired, possibly due to the, the long season had just been completed, possibly due to the time it's been since some of them had played a full competitive 90 minutes and possibly just due to the temperature in Yerevan. Yeah, I mean, it was most disappointing result, first and foremost, because what we've asked for in this podcast was for this side to be competitive from day one. Granted, the conditions we'd already highlighted would be a factor, 30 degrees, cloudy, but pretty humid I suppose you've probably hit the nail on the head here in terms of performance I think quite a few players that lined out for Republic of Ireland had seen precious little first team action in weeks prior to this fixture and I think it showed we did have good spells of dominance in that opening period interspersed with Armenia who had a bright start first probably 10 minutes we were under the cosh a little bit but once we kind of got a foothold in the game we did create chances, John. You know, I suppose that is the more disappointing aspect on this, is that we did create chances, even though we mightn't have been at our fluid best. We did create chances. I'm just thinking of Obeni's chance just before half time, that free header from the cross that came in. I mean, one of these go- one of these chances goes in. We're talking a different story here. Armenia, buoyed by their manager, Spanish coach, seem to be living and breathing every kick of the ball during the fixture. And to be fair to Armenia, I think they played the conditions well, soaked an awful lot of pressure, were well organised. And again, from an Ireland standpoint, probably good moments in that opening half, but you could see the confidence ebb away a little bit. And there was always that fear in the back of your head, Joe, that what happened did happen with about 12 minutes left when Spertesian, literally a long-range effort when he hits the shot. It didn't have to be asked twice. He was going into the back of the net and we were under severe pressure, but... All in all, I think it was a very 
disappointing results. And again, what is it with June with Republic of Ireland? We can go historically, like so the Liechtenstein's, the Austria games, <laughs> these sort of games. They're very much landmined in terms of those fixtures coming at back end of a long season. Players really, the energy levels you would hope are on point. But on this particular occasion, I think quite a few of the players were caught a little bit on the fixture and uh, we didn't get away with it. We had 13 shots, but only two of them were on target. Armenia had nine shots and only three on target, including the goal. You know, watching the goal go in, you were kind of thinking of the goal we conceded against Luxembourg, the goal we conceded against Azerbaijan, possibly even the goal we conceded against Andorra. Another long-range speculative shot taken from that from the opposition point of view, that inside left channel. You know, to concede one goal in that manner is, well, you know, we've been watching football long enough to know that these things happen. Two, all right, maybe the opposition had scouted us and had done their, had done their homework and identified that as a weak point. But when it's coming up to three and four times that, that goal has conceded, it just starts to look like negligence on the, the part of the management and coaching team. You know, when you look at the starting defence that we had in that game, Coleman looked uncomfortable out on the right wing. Collins as the right-sided central defender beside Shane Duffy uh, with Jeff Hendrick in front of him just seemed to give up far too much space. And the Armenian player had time to to look up and pick his shot and, and score past Kelleher. If we, as observers, as appreciators, as, as fans of the game, can notice this, what does it say that the management either haven't noticed it or don't seem to be doing anything about it? There are valid points here, Joe. Um, and to be fair, that underlying team here was that the two-man central midfield. You had Josh Cullen and you had Jeff Hendrick, who, let's face it, has played precious little football, even on his loan spell with QPR towards the latter end of the season. So again, the Republic of Ireland central midfield was being a little bit overrun at times against Armenia and credit to Spursan. I think they've literally looked at videotape on that, but I suppose going back to management, that should have been highlighted. And I think there's a bit of maybe on the job kind of learning here from Stephen Kenny and I would say backroom staff as well. I mean, Anthony Barry is now long gone from the setup. John Hughes is coming in and the rest of the coaching staff, along with uh, Keith Andrews. Surely Keith Andrews and John Hughes of this world should have been identifying this to maybe provide maybe an extra body or two in that centre of the park. Because the goal itself, Joe, there's no pressure. I mean, Colin is looking at his own defensive read here. There's no pressure coming from Coleman. Hendrick is there a little bit distant in terms of the space that was given. I mean, it's a speculative effort. You don't think that's going in, but again, these things happen. It is a worry. It is a concern, given so early in this Nations League, that Armenia obviously have looked at the videotape. They looked at how Rodriguez and Luxembourg most recently in the World Cup qualification did that to us in the Aviva, and they did exactly the same. They actually asked Spiritsam to literally get into that space, into that hole, and try his luck. And fortune favours the brave, and 1-0, and the Armenian crowd went wild, and we were under the pump then. But I suppose, going back to your point, Joe, in terms of the midfield defence, Ireland were under the cosh for the first 10 minutes, and Shane Duffy does pick up that yellow card fairly early on in nine minutes. I mean, maybe that is a contributing factor here that 
Duffy can't go as aggressive or as physical as he wants to because he's on that yellow. So maybe that's a little bit of a factor here. But there was definitely cohesion issues, particularly all around the pitch for Ireland. And I suppose from a managerial perspective, much to ponder, I would say. If you look at the results in the remainder of Armenia's fixtures in the group, they lost 2-0 to Scotland in Scotland. They lost 3-0 to Ukraine in Poland and 4-1 in their final game to Scotland in Yerevan. So we're the only team they kept a clean sheet against. The only other goal they scored was the opener against Scotland in the sixth minute before Armstrong equalised eight minutes later. It's their second win of the year. They beat Montenegro in a friendly back in March, but it's their first competitive win since March 2021. And in the seven competitive games that they've played since then, the last four and drew three and only scored three goals, all of which makes the result look worse and worse. You know, I did come up with the the stat after the game that uh, Stephen Kenny is now the, the first manager to be held scoreless by two teams ranked outside the top 90 in the world by FIFA. That's Luxembourg back in, in March of last year, who were 98 uh, at the time and the first manager to lose two games to teams uh, outside the top 90 in the, in the world. I know football fans are a reactionary group, but I think the reaction that came after that game was probably understandable. This was a game that we expected to win by all accepted football logic. We should have won that game. We didn't. And to me, it did wipe out a lot of the goodwill that had been built up in the second half of last year, when you look back at some of the performances against Portugal and Serbia and the Azerbaijan and Qatar games, did you think that the way that people were describing the Ukraine as a must-win game, was that maybe a bit too much or was this fairly accurate? I suppose I hinted here in this podcast a few weeks ago here, Joe, that I had that inkling, I had that concern for Stephen Kenny if the result didn't go his way, particularly here in Eurovan that that reaction would actually have taken place. And so it kind of proved in some media quarters, the usual, the virgin medias of this world, you know, really the pundits really kind of sticking the knife in to a certain extent. But I suppose, Joe, you've laid it out here. It's a team that's ranked well over 90 in the world for rankings. I mean, it's a disastrous result for any soccer program. Let alone Republic of Ireland. No disrespect to Armenia, but I mean, the record you've just cited here and the results after this result is really kind of it's, it, the goodwill, as you say, from the campaign, even the Belgium friendly, it kind of got absolutely evaporated on that. I don't think, you know, in the cold light of day, once we review the Nations League come September, this is a major result here that Stephen Kenny and the backroom staff definitely, they can't really defend really. It's, it's just a shocking result in so many aspects on it. The cohesion our flank play was absolutely disastrous on the day, Joe. Enda Stevens, Seamus Coleman, there is zero. Zero contribution in terms of attacking with throughout the game. And if you see Ukraine and Scotland, they did pose problems on the flank for Armenia. We never asked them a question. Some chances were created, but it was all very direct. It was all very down the middle. So I think from that perspective here, uh, Joe, on reflection on this Armenian result, it is a horrible result for Stephen Kenny on his record. When we kind of look at historically his era, this result particularly, you could probably call out the Luxembourg game here as well in the Aviva. They do rank as kind of real 
low, low points in his managerial career with the Republic of Ireland, and there's no getting away with that, just given the manner of the performance. Is it worse than the Luxembourg results? I mean, there's the argument to be made that when we did face Luxembourg, you know, Stephen Kenny was still getting to grips with senior international football. He might not have known his best team or even his best players at the time, whereas now it's 15 months since that result in Dublin against Luxembourg. We've seen an improvement in the team. They've started to score goals. They've started to play good football. And I think the excuses that were in place for the Luxembourg results are irrelevant now. And yeah, I, I would actually say the Armenia result is worse than the Luxembourg game. Still not as bad as Cyprus 5-2 back in 2006. But I would actually say, I would say it's worse than the loss to Luxembourg. Yeah, Joe, I'm kind of ranking it alongside that superior result for you. That for me is rock bottom. Like given what Armenia offered on the day, you know, any other football team that was in Yerevan would have professionally hit this result to 3-0 game settled by 70 minutes. But the fact that we were just so misfiring and it's not as if the management would have not seen this before. And I suppose, Joe, really the fact of the matter here is it's just the option, the plan B. After 74 minutes, when we're 1-0 down, the Armenia crowd are really on and up. What's he do? I mean, there's no real viable option here. He's put Shane Duffy up front. This is not an option B, in my opinion. So he's had the 15 months after Luxembourg game to really evolve that game plan to try to change things up from a tactical managerial sense. We just never got that in Yerevan as well. So for me, I would agree with you, Joe. I think the Armenia game is probably the low, lowest of the low points for Stephen Kenny here. And again, as you said, the goodwill from the previous results. God, it's amazing. You know, after 90 minutes of football in Yerevan, that goodwill, to a certain extent, was being extinguished. And really, for Stephen Kenny, looking at that Ukraine game straight after in the Aviva, it was certainly a better performance was required. And... I think himself, the management, and also the players knew it. Phil, we've said that the excuses that were in place for the Luxembourg game are now gone. Uh, and for that reason, the result against Armenia is probably worse. Mark made the point there that you know pushing Shane Duffy up front seems to be plan B. But after two years in charge, you know, should the manager have a better plan B than stick the big lad up front? What did you think coming to the end of the game? Because... It didn't look like creating anything. It didn't look like scoring. And honestly, I thought Armenia just saw the game out quite comfortably. It's bad enough not having a plan B or a proper plan B, but he didn't seem to have a plan A or his plan A didn't work at all. Like we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago before the games, how we really thought, we all thought he needed three in midfield and he goes with two and to finish the game with the centre-back up front, it's the last hurrah in football. It's what you do in cup finals if you're losing 3-1 with two minutes to go or, you know, you've exhausted all options, you just can't break the team down. But really, it just looked like he didn't try everything else before that. He just went with Shane Duffy up front. There was no intricate tactical changes, maybe bringing a different winger on or playing a different way. Like, Ogbeni, like they gave the ball to Ogbeni in the last five or six minutes as well, and he, he probably had more joy down that right-hand side than anyone had the whole game. Why wasn't that happening on 60 minutes? He was very slow to react, and 
what does Will Keane think? Like, I know all of us, we, we're not exactly too pushed on Will Keane being in the squad. We presume he's there as a bit of a battering ram. He's tall, he's got presence in the air. He might nick you a goal. That should be the plan B. I know Duffy scores headers for us for set pieces, but really, it was just a total sign of desperation. And it was really exasperating to see from a fan's point of view because there was so much goodwill and so much promise going into the game. And to end the game 1-0 down and the manager looking like he was clueless again, was really it was really disappointing. When you look at some of the substitutions that were made, you know, we talked about uh, Will King and Adam Brown coming on and players that you would expect to win balls in the air. But one that kind of looks a bit strange to me, kind of in retrospect, is Michael Obafemi coming on for Troy Parrott. I know we're going to come to the Scotland game later on, but given how well they played together against Scotland, bringing one player on from the other now looks like a mistake. Maybe it was something that hadn't been fully realised in training. Maybe the two of them being picked against Scotland were forced on him, but not having those two players on the pitch at the same time now starts to look looks uh, a bit like a mistake. You know, as well, if I could have picked one player to come off in midfield, it would have been Hendrick, who looked gassed out after 60 minutes. But instead, he took Cullen off so Adam Brown could come on for the last nine minutes, the only nine minutes of the four games that, that Josh Cullen didn't play. We've talked about the substitutions that Kenny has made before and the, the lack of impact that the substitutions have made. And again, in this game, the substitutes didn't do much. Just to cut in you there, just on your point about Colin, if you're if you're one nil down with fifteen or twenty minutes to go, and you know the opposition is going to sit deep, and your job as a manager is to get the team to pin the opposition back and dictate the game and move them side to side and try and make a bit of room for them, you, you don't take off Colin. That's what Colin does. Colin gets the ball in the halfway line when they give it back to you after every attack, and he dictates the game. And he dictates the attacks. And they took Cullen off. So it was all just a bit of a rabble. There was no one conducting. You see it when Liverpool do it with Henderson. The ball goes out wide. It comes back to him. It goes out wide. It's, it's constant movement. They're looking for that space. There's players in the box that will get a few yards. But like as you pointed out, he takes Cullen off with 10 minutes to go. And then it's just a bit of a free-for-all. No one seems to know who should be doing what. Yeah, I think it did make Hendrick even more isolated in central midfield because Brown went in as right wing back replacing Coleman. And there was no other orthodox central midfielder on the pitch apart from Hendrick, who, as I say, looked absolutely exhausted. Uh, Armenia went 1-0 up with 15 minutes to go. And I don't remember anything approaching a decent attack in the last 15 minutes. Our cohesion and balance had completely gone at that stage. You know, even before the Armenian goal, I think our balance was starting to kind of wane a little bit, particularly in that middle third. I mean, the final third was an absolute shambles throughout the game. I was very disappointed in the performances, particularly of Albany, unfortunately, and uh, particularly Callum Robinson. You know, he was a yard off it, unfortunately. I think, Phil, you alluded to it very well. It felt like the playoffs. It felt like the Hail Mary Shane will get us out of the bind again, you know. But what Will Keane must be thinking here, guys? I mean, only given the nine minutes. I mean, sure, given the chances that were created, I suppose Will could have been maybe thinking maybe one chance might come to his way. But sure, look, there was no delivery. There was no nothing at that stage. 
Yeah. But give, just... give him nine, give him nine minutes, and then to, not that he's competing with Duffy, but clearly the manager has gone right Duffy up front, and all the players have gone get it to Duffy. They're not looking at Will Keane at all. Like, didn't Duffy have that half bicycle chance as well? Maybe if that fell to a striker, you never know. This is the thing. It's, it's it was just all a bit last chance saloon. It just felt to me, Joe, as well that did the managers know the players' capabilities? They've been in with this squad of players now for. We take Slovakia all the way, like we're in our fourth real series campaign here. I mean, surely Stephen Kenny, particularly Keith Andrews as well, for the training sessions, would have seen link up, would have seen partnerships, would have been going to club football matches, knowing the strengths and weaknesses. It just, it, we seem to panic quite a bit in those substitutions on, in reflection. You know, I think we were shocked that we conceded the goal the way we did. And I think the managerial switches really did indicate that as well. If we could move on from the the Armenia disaster, we can go maybe out of the frying pan and then into the fire. I think by the time the Ukraine game kicked off on the following Wednesday, a, a sense of calm had returned to the Irish fandom. There was good atmosphere in Aviva Stadium. I was there. There was a, a larger than you might have expected contingent of Ukrainian fans. Uh, I know a, a lot of tickets were given to Ukrainians who have been placed here, and it, it all contributed to a, a, a great atmosphere. But right from the kickoff again, I felt like the team was playing the same kind of football that they played against Armenia, and it, it wasn't effective. You know, he put out a similar formation, a 3-4-3. Phil, you mentioned the midfield two. Early on, Colin and Hendrick, again, they didn't look like they were controlling the game in any way, shape or form. Bene up front with Robinson and Knight uh, either side of him felt isolated throughout the game. I think we probably played better defensively than we did against Armenia. And you could argue that the goal possibly was you know, a bit of a fluke, a bit of an accident. And I think Keller played better than he did against against Armenia and the defence seemed to be better organised but we, I think we, we switched off for just that one second and that was all it took for Ukraine to get the winner and again that goal came early in the second half but we didn't make any changes until 20 minutes later uh, and even then that was enforced when John Egan had to go off injured for Darrell O'Shea and in those 20 minutes whatever it was we didn't look like making any chances. I mean, you could argue that the first positive substitutions weren't made until the, the 70th minute when McLean, Brown and Obafemi all came on. Just going to know Parrot was an unused substitute in this game. So Obafemi and Parrot were not on the pitch again at the same time. After the results, the noise were really out. I think I made the comment that it felt like we were closer to the end of Stephen Kenny's reign than the start. We didn't think we were going to get anything out of the remaining two games. You know, the comments that he had made before the Amelia game about going to win the group were suddenly a rod for his back. And it meant that we had to get a result against Scotland. Phil, after that Ukraine game, we were talking that, you know, this could be the inglorious end of uh, Stephen Kenny's time in charge. Personally, I couldn't see where any, any win was coming from after the Ukraine game. Because he just didn't seem to... The team looked flat, very flat. And the goal was, you, you could say, a fluke. It was a fluke, but someone has to have the conviction to put their head in it as well or get a touch in it. 
and just have a go. There was a lot of ball watching involved. I know everybody missed it, but even so, it's just one of those goals when the chips are down, when you, the team is flat, you'll concede chances like that. He went with the two in the middle again. I had just presumed he had to have seen how bad the two in the middle worked against Armenia, and he's gone with it again for the Ukraine game. So which we just, I just presumed he was going to go with it again for the Scotland game. The Ukraine game was just, it was forgettable, really, wasn't it? There wasn't a lot to talk about. There was no real great performances. We struggled again in the midfield. Up front, it was too many cooks at the end of the game again. We didn't really look like we knew what we were doing. I couldn't see how we were getting a win against Scotland, who man for man were better than us probably on paper and had been on a decent run until that playoff defeat. So it was hard to see where the wins were going to come from. Mark, uh, I said to you after the game that it seemed to me that with about 10 minutes to go, the team had just accepted the result. Now, we're not accustomed to seeing that, not just international level, but in, in any level of football. If you're losing, you may, you know, you try and make one final push to get something before the end of the game, but genuinely, watching the game from the stands uh, at Aviva Stadium that night, there was just no life in the team. You know, even the, the substitutes that were brought on, they didn't make any difference. It felt like the formation that hadn't worked for three halves of football at this stage, three and a half halves of football, if you like, wasn't changed. And the game was basically settled after about 60 minutes. I don't think any of us saw any way of coming back for this for the manager. Let's set the context here. Ukraine fielded 10 changes from the side that were defeated by Wales in that World Cup playoff game in Cardiff. So... That kind of set the context here again for Stephen Kenny. Cranked the pressure a little bit more on the players, I would imagine, to get a result given the, that team news from Ukraine. To me, it just felt that the Ukrainian team, in fairness to Fidali Melienko, kind of led by example, and the Ukrainian team played with freedom. I didn't see that from the Republic of Ireland. It was all very tight, very restricted. I think we looked to have a good bright start. That's that one positive from the game. Jason and I had a nice chance. But it fizzled out, and again, this system from Stephen Kenny really depends on the flanks providing that attacking width to provide the attacking ammunition. For me, and the Stevens and Cyrus history, that ranked is probably one of the worst flank performances I've seen in a Republic of Ireland team in quite a long time. In terms of where was the contribution from both of these players, unfortunately, there was none. And I mean, if an opponent sees a Stephen Kenny side, that's the first thing you'll do is nullify the flanks, and if you do that then it becomes very difficult for this Republic of Ireland team to create any tangible chances. And so Ukraine, they did their homework. Fairness to the players that came in for Ukraine were very fresh. Just given the whole layoff uh, with the war that's going on in Ukraine. But they had played games now over the last few weeks and had gotten into rhythm, even their squad players. So they had that freshness about them, particularly in that middle third. And let's bear in mind, guys, VAR saved Republic of Ireland's bacon just before half time as well. So it's not as if this goal came from nowhere as well. Ukraine were warming to the task before half time, and even for the goal, I suppose we'll get to the goal. It's such a needless free kick to be given away, even in that area of the pitch. Just anxiety from Ireland from start to finish here, I'm afraid. Even the Duffy chance at the end, looking for power, just a little bit more precision of Shane there, would have given us the one all draw. Did we hardly deserve it? Probably not, but. I think, to be fair, uh, it just was a team under pressure, under a little bit of a siege mentality after that Armenian game. And 
squads and management can say they don't read or they don't listen to the media or the pundits, but it felt to me that that was coming in that performance, Joe, to be perfectly honest. And again, the media, certain quarters didn't spare Stephen Kenny, unfortunately. As a, as a football fan, I can handle being outplayed by better teams, but you would hope that the team you're supporting has some bit of fight in it. And it, it, I just did not see that at all. We had the minority of the possession, you know, in a home game, which is always disappointing. Only slightly now, Ukraine had 53 versus uh, Ireland's 47% of possession. But still, it's something that you would hope that the the team can at least manage. We attempted and completed fewer passes than Ukraine. And like I said, uh, at full time, we didn't know what to expect against Scotland, but I was not looking forward to it. Obviously, the loss to Ukraine in the playoff was a massive disappointment for them. But before that, they had been unbeaten since last September, since losing 2-0 to Denmark, a team that we only ever seemed to, to draw with. They'd beaten Austria away. They'd beaten Denmark at home in the return game in November. Two good results in March, a draw with Poland and a draw away with Austria. And... The three of us attended the game together for the first time and we didn't really know what to expect. Mark alluded to it there about all the changes the Ukrainian team made and they had to make, but I don't like to see pylons from fans on any particular players, but like obviously there was a big pylon on Jeff Hendrick and even worse after the two, the last two games because he wasn't really involved and let's be honest, he didn't play well, but you take the Ukrainian team. The Ukrainian team, the whole squad have played an awful lot more football than Jeff Hendrick has the last 10 weeks. They had a lot of training games. They would have rotated heavily. Everybody would have got minutes. Jeff Hendrick didn't play the last six or seven games for QPR. Didn't kick a ball. He comes in against Armenia. He's in a two. I always feel sorry for him when he's in a two because he looks a bit lost. He's he's asked to do stuff he doesn't seem to be comfortable doing. Like He's clearly more of an attacking player than we, we think he is. And he's come in against Armenia and he's lost and he didn't play well he gets picked again by Stephen Kenny in a two against Ukraine who are a much more technical side and yes they made 10 changes and yes you can say we got beaten by their by their B team but this is a team who have just lost qualification for the World Cup you've 10 players there who are absolutely baying for a starting place who are absolutely going to give it their all and it's competition for places as well never mind what's going on with the war and again, he just looked so out of his depth, lost, flat-footed, legless. Like you could say the same again with Horahan when he came on in the second game against Ukraine. So like, I don't understand Stephen Kenny's thought process with going for the two the second time around when it didn't work, but persisting with Hendrick. And he played the whole game as well, when obviously there was options off the bench to either change formation or take him out of the firing line. So I would firmly put the Ukrainian defeat on Stephen Kenny's shoulders the whole thing to be honest with you because there was obvious changes he could have made that he didn't make and there was obvious in-game changes that we could all see that he didn't see so just to go back to how we thought the Scotland game would go I really didn't see it going well because Stephen Kenny didn't seem to be seeing the obvious things that we were seeing I actually thought Hendrik played well in the first half against Armenia but he faded in the second half and looked gassed out with about half an hour to go. And for me, it was the obvious substitution to make, but he took off Cullen instead. Now, against Ukraine, you know, Hendrik played the 90 minutes again and 
kind of felt like it was a similar performance to Armenia. He did have some nice touches in the first half. You could see what he was trying to do on the ball. But, you know, the last 20 minutes, uh, he was uh, very ineffective. And I think there's just the sense of acceptance of the results infected, not just him, but infected the whole team with about 20 minutes to go. But to be fair to Hendrick, like, he had a very strong, powerful World Cup qualification campaign at the end. I mean, he was in more in an advanced position. You think the guitar, friendly match, where he was pulling strings there a little bit more advanced. But, you know, if you're dependent on him to become that defensive kind of shield, I mean, he'll do the job, but he's completely ineffective. And it's just, I don't know, coaching notes, I don't know, <laughs> were they ripped up or something? <laughs> Uh, it just to me again, it was more um, the personnel, you know, not knowing your personnel, not knowing their strengths, and their, uh, I would agree with you, Phil. You know, I think coaching set up there really needed to have a better tactic in mind but for that Ukraine game. He's played all three of the forwards out of their natural positions as well. Like it's not exactly. something we delved into too much because like Benny always looks so good when he plays up front for us. He's not a tip of the attack kind of player. You've he'd night pushed up wide left. Drop Knight back into the midfield, play him alongside Hendrick, put Cullen behind them. It's not rocket science to play players in their normal positions. And it, there was, I didn't see the call for playing Cullen and Hendrick for the halfway line in a two. I didn't, I didn't see it because we were obviously missing Coleman and we were missing Doherty. So, you know, what's the point? We're not going to have that much ball out wide. So I don't understand what they see sometimes. Like, obviously, Keith Andrews got in his ear after the Ukraine game, or, or someone did, because... Yeah. Um, yeah, just, sometimes, as you said, Mark, coaching notes, did, did they leave them on the bus, like? What's their siege mentality? You know, purely... Be, not get hammered. Let's just try and nick one. Yeah, maybe. Seeing the significance of the game and trying to keep faith with guys, maybe you could argue the Armenian game, maybe a few guys undercooked in terms of no game time for a few weeks and maybe giving those guys another opportunity but you know this is international football it's clinical business you're there to make hard calls Stephen Kenny didn't make hard calls in that Ukrainian game for my, in my opinion and we paid the price for it unfortunately I think one of the comments after the game was that Stephen Kenny's plan B was to just do plan A but better and picking the same formation and almost the same personnel in two consecutive games where it clearly didn't work in the first game. To me, that's that's a mistake, and it's a big one. His comments after the Armenia game were kind of along the lines of, oh, we were unlucky, you know, we deserve something. So you wonder in his mindset, is he thinking, oh, well, look, the team was right. We'll do better the next time. We'll have another go. They'll be more up to speed, and we'll get a result. If that's his thinking... Obviously, he hasn't watched any of his own games back because we've never put in two consecutive performances competitively that have matched, that have, we've always been really good and then we've been quite poor or lethargic or bad the next game. So that's a pattern that he obviously is in denial about because it was the exact same thing with the Armenia and the Ukraine game. Did anyone really think we were going to bounce back well against Ukraine with the same formation he certainly shouldn't have but obviously judging by his post-match comments he thought we were unlucky but I just think that's a bit of nonsense to be honest with you even that interview was a bit awkward wasn't it with Tony O'Donoghue straight after oh totally because the words unlucky were coming up but I don't think anyone thought we were unlucky yeah I felt like the results was fair there was no major decision that went against us 
Ukraine were, were organised. They took the chance when they had it and defended the lead for the second half. We possibly could have gotten a draw out of it, but it, it, uh, a win definitely would have been the wrong result for us. Uh, we definitely didn't do enough to, to win that game. I, we barely did enough to score in that game. You know, We had 13 shots and only four of them were on target. Again, in a home game, that's that's disappointing, I think, to say at the very least. I didn't agree with Stephen Kenny in that interview at all. His back was up against the wall a little bit, and the pressure was starting to show, and he was starting to say things that didn't really stand up to scrutiny. And going into the Scotland game on Saturday, the attitude of the Ireland fans before the game was, you know, we were, would be lucky to get away with a draw. This is absolutely the most schizophrenic podcast we'll ever do. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. If Addy had stuck with us through all the doom and gloom, prepare for streamers and balloons and party time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the truisms in football is that goals change games, and goals, in this case, changed a team. Alan Brown's opener after 20 minutes, I don't think he knew too much about it. I would say that the ball hit him and went in more than he actually scored a goal. But it changed the team. It changed the mentality. It changed the approach. And we did something in the Scotland game that I don't think I've seen any Ireland team do in a long time. And we bullied a team. We we really did bully that result out of them. Now, we mightn't have played better football than Scotland. And... You know, indeed, they had the majority of possession. They attempted and completed more passes than we did. But after that second goal went in, they looked absolutely shell-shocked. And going in 2-0 up at half-time, playing a completely different brand of football, not just the personnel, but the formation, were drastically changed from the first two games. Maybe he'd been listening to us or maybe he'd been reading in the press, but suddenly we saw a midfield three, which we hadn't seen in the first two games. We had Josh Cullen sitting a little bit deeper. We had Jason Knight, you know, acting as the creative talent in midfield. And we had Jason Malumbi mopping up and doing a lot of the work to give Knight the freedom to do it. And then up front, we had Paradinova Femi playing together for the first time and playing together like they had played together for months, if not years. And that second goal from Paris with a one-touch, one-look outside of the boot pass from Obafemi kind of looked like the telepathic relationship that we see from the likes of Son and Kane in the Premier League. And at halftime, we were looking at each other going, where has this performance come from? I think it's confidence, Joe. Pure and simple. That brown goal changes everything, doesn't it? Just the mindset, the ethos. Now... Before that Brown goal here, uh, Joe, and I suppose after the Brown goal, we did have a few um, nervy moments, particularly for some short kickouts. I did like the way how Scotland were pressing up on us fairly aggressively, nullifying Cullen as a passing option. And again, Duffy was demanding for players to make themselves available and usually went to Brown, risky pass. So we did have a few near misses, but in fairness, Harland, the two to three minutes before it, there was an awful lot of concerted pressure. The tempo, I thought, was very much on point here, uh, Joe and Phil. Just in terms of our middle third, it was a little bit more intensity about it. Maybe it's a local derby game a, a bit. But the intensity, that energy that probably was lacking a bit in the Armenian and Ukrainian games certainly was there uh, from the early stages here. And I mean, the Brown goal, I mean, 
it is concerted pressure here. So, I mean, Brown gets the final touch, and as you say, the team just literally grew in confidence. So much so, like, I was looking at Nathan Collins an awful lot, because really in the first 10 minutes, he was a little bit nervy on the ball, but as soon as the goal hits for Brown, Collins is a different player. He's creating more with his link-up play with Brown was very good. I thought down the flank, same with James McLean as well, and John Egan. Players were now having more conviction on the ball, and I think as he's described, that goal between Obafemi and Parrott, I mean, the one touch, the, the pass over the top, that's absolutely isolating Hendry, all ends up. It's a superb finish off Parrott. But again, we kind of noticed Troy Parrott, even from his under-21 days. You know, you give a guy of that stature and that talent, that chance he'll tuck it away. And we were talking to Scottish fans outside Slatteries before the game and I think the Scottish fans were relatively confident that they would be coming away with three points but you could see the reaction of the Scottish fans from about minute 20 on you could hear the jeers already starting at that stage they knew they were under a massive pressure and fairness to the Republic of Ireland to a man it was an incredible performance and there was also that I think that Shane Duffy effort just before half time could have made a 3-0 as well it was a great save from Craig Gordon so I mean as you said bullied Scotland were in that middle third McGregor, McTominay were non-factors. And suddenly you saw Ronaldston and Robertson really going back deep and really isolating Christie, McGinn and Adams. I thought it was a superb opening period from minute 20 on for Ireland. <laughs> it was a shock performance, let's just put it that way. I think everyone was a bit shocked. We're all a bit delirious by half-time. It wasn't perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect when you put the ball in the net. And because we don't put the ball in the net, we have to be perfect for a lot of our games. You know, one goal never is enough to win a game for us, usually. But when you can score two goals and you can you play reasonably well, 70 to 80% well, you'll win your game. And this is what we struggle to do because we don't have a goal scorer. So if we could score two goals a game, we'd probably win a lot of them because we are quite solid at the back. I thought we started off really well. You mentioned Duffy. Duffy had the blindfold on for a few the early 20 minutes, passing out from the back. He had a couple of hand grenades there. Scotland should have been one up, but we recovered well. And the big thing was, the big thing about this game was he changed formation and he played players in the right positions and the team had cohesion. You could see what the forwards were meant to do. You could see what the midfield was trying to do. You had Malumbi, you had Cullen, you had Knight. Malumbi was mopping up around Cullen, giving him the ball. He was getting it tonight. Knight was the connecting piece with the forwards. Obafemi and Parrot, I thought, were excellent. Parrot's a real bully. Parrot's really good in the air. He's really good at fighting for those second balls. And it's something maybe that's been overlooked about him. He He's well able to lead the line, as is Obafemi, obviously, because we know his, the size of him. He's a big guy. He's powerful. But I think Parrot's come on leaps and bounds, trend-wise. He's obviously bulked up in that. And it was just great to see us win a game so convincingly. I know Scotland had a lot of the ball in the second half. They didn't really do a lot with it, though. And we were never nervous about them getting one back and maybe us capitulating or anything like that. That comes from, as you mentioned, confidence. Confidence of the younger players to get in the ball and actually impose themselves on the game. I just thought it was brilliant. And whether it was Kenny that figured it out finally that we need three in the midfield or it was someone, Andrews of the coaching team, that had said it to him, I think he can't go back now. And I think if we have Doherty back in the team, we have a great attack and outlet on the right. But that's the formation that works. You have to have three in the midfield because otherwise you'll just get swamped. And we saw perfectly 
there was a connection there with the forward players. We've scored scrappy goals like Browns before, but uh, I would struggle to remember a goal that we scored like Paris, Posse, Robbie Keane against Germany in 2002. And I tried hard to think of a similar goal to Obafemi's and Mark Kennedy against Yugoslavia. Yeah, Parrots is a bit like Brady's as well. It's that one single ball put in between the goalie and the last defender. And it's about the run as well as the pass, because the pass isn't on if the run isn't made. And the run is the run is inch perfect. And the pass was inch perfect. From where we were sitting, we had a good view of Obafemi's pass. And it did look to be speculative at best. But it did curve a little bit away from the goalkeeper into the space between him and I think it was Henry in front of it, the defender in yeah. front of him. And I was just thinking, if someone can get in there, they've got a good chance of scoring. And just from where we were sitting, we couldn't see Parrot making that run. So to us, it looked like he came out of nowhere to make contact with the header and put it away. And then the, the stadium erupts. We're tuning up before half time for, for the first time in a, in a very long time. I was in line with that ball for the first half for Parrot's goal. And I can tell you, an awful lot of people and myself were actually standing up as he went to head that ball because you could see the run. You could nearly see it manifest in front of you. It was such, it was just so clever. For Obafemi's goal, like when it was a bit scrappy in the build-up, tackles were flying in in midfield. And when the ball even came to Obafemi, my reaction was just, just shoot. And the power he got from a standing start was ridiculous. There were so many things about that goal that were absolutely unbelievable. Not just the power, but the arc of the ball peaked right above the goalkeeper, so he had no chance of reaching it. Dipped at exactly the perfect point to hit the net. I mean, I would, I'd struggle to think of anything you could do to improve it. Maybe if it you know hit the crossbar just for that sound, but that's just asking for the moon on a stick. We're 3-0 up at home, there's 40 minutes to go, and the game is basically over at this stage. Scotland weren't going to score three. You know, so many records fell in that game as well. You know, our first home win against a higher-ranked side in a competitive game since beating Bosnia in the playoff in, in 2015. Our first time scoring more than two goals uh, in a home competitive game since putting seven past Gibraltar in October 2014. And you know, we've talked before about the inconsistency of the team under Stephen Kenny that we go from great performances against Portugal and Serbia to terrible results against Luxembourg and Azerbaijan. And suddenly we go from one of our worst results ever in, in losing in Armenia to uh, a result that rewrites the history books uh, against Scotland. You would hope at this stage of Stephen Kenny's reign that we'd see a bit more consistency in the team. You know, speaking to the, the Scottish fans after the game, we were telling them that we don't know where that performance came from. They were telling us when they looked at our starting eleven, they were saying, look, we're a better team than these players. And I would have absolutely zero argument with that. But for whatever reason, on the day, the formation, the tactics, the crowd, everything that just seemed to work. So you, you suppose if you want to look from the negative from it, you would say, well, why have we never done this before? I suppose local derby game as well, Joe. A few bragging rights there. I thought the atmosphere before the game and after the game was superb with the Scottish fans, big travelling 
uh, support from Tartan Army. But to be fair, I thought the fans in the Aviva Stadium from early, we arrived in there probably 40 minutes before kickoff. You could feel something building, particularly, you know, down in the ultras end. The atmosphere was really being cranked up and just had that local derby vibe. Uh, I think on that sort of thing, form sometimes goes out the window a little bit. Local bragging rights, that sort of thing, maybe is a contributing factor here. But I suppose players now were to game three of a four-game series here. So is there any ring rust from... You know, the the end of the regular club season were well and truly done at that stage. I suppose you have to give kudos to John Egan as well, because I think John Egan was very touch and go for this game, wasn't he? And mm-hmm. the fact that he uh, played the full 90 minutes, I thought, was a superb effort from Egan, uh, to be fair. But Malumbi as well, guys, I think. Would you agree? Probably his best game in an Irish jersey, particularly senior-wise. By a mile. Like, his confidence soared. Like, he was winning an awful lot of 50-50 duels. But I thought his energy levels, getting up and down the park, he was offering himself for the ball consistently, making runs from deep. I suppose that was one thing I was probably lacking for him was an awful lot, that energy from that middle third, making those runs from deep, asking the opponent to make one more defensive run that they don't want to make. Malumbi was making those runs very consistently throughout his cameo. I thought it was a superb, same with Jason Knight as well. You know, and allow Josh Cullen then to basically tidy up to provide that defensive protection to the back three as well. And again, Nathan Collins was soaring. You could see the confidence there. And also Alan Brown. I know we were kind of talking in terms of, I think Alan Brown took one for the team, essentially, in that position. I don't think that's his most favourite position, let's be brutally honest. But he he did well. I mean, got the goal. Could have gotten a second goal in that second half as well, guys. You know, that was cleared off the line. So... All in all, players really did pull up the hand. Jimmy McLean as well. Super, you know, the energy levels there as well. I think it was just the energy levels, really. That's maybe the sight of the Scottish jersey, I don't know. But it was just something sparked in him on the day, and it was incredible to be there. Malumbi, you know, with Femi are two players he's given chances to, and they've both taken them with both hands. Yeah. Like, that's a big thing as well. I think Malumbi would have thought he would have got a game earlier than game three by the performance in the Armenia game, but he really took it with both hands and he's looking to be a regular. He's looking at Knight, who's playing, like the two of them are playing a lot of games as well. They played a lot of games this season. You have a midfield there that basically played the whole season. You have Obafemi who come back up front and he's played a lot of games towards the end of the season and you have Parrot who's played the whole season. So you have players there that are playing and playing well for their clubs. Yeah. That's a huge difference as well. You take a player like Hendrik out who unfortunately wasn't playing and you you throw in someone with energy like Malumbi, you're going to see a difference. I think having those three players together, having Knight and Malumbi on the pitch at the same time, the two of them together were, were doing the jobs that Hendrick was trying to do by himself, cleaning up in midfield and creating for the two strikers. And it was clear from the first two games that he has the ability for it, but maybe given that he hadn't played towards the end of the season, his fitness levels weren't able for it. But with Malumbi and Knight both having very clearly defined roles in the team, because each of them did an aspect of Hendrick's two jobs very well. And look, I don't want to say it's going to keep Hendrick out of the team in future, but if we're going with a midfield three, then I think that 
you know, the manager has figured out this midfield three either by by accident or just from you know observation. And I think it's one of the big positives from the three games. Absolutely, and I think it'll give the guys that were looking on the outside a massive kick up the rear end a little bit in terms of. I'm just thinking of our final third options here as well, like Parton Obafemi looked like if they remain fit, they get regular game minutes for their clubs next season. No reason why that is the front two to face Scotland and Armenia. I'm thinking in terms of Obene and Callum Robinson that up until recently seemed to be the toast of uh, Republic of Ireland's final third future. And, you know, it's that sort of perspective. And I think Hendrick, Hendrick still has a massive role to play in this squad. I think he's too skillful a player not to be included or have a part to play. Um, you could even say Alan Brown there as well if like Sir Seamus Coleman were to come back into the side. You have Doherty as well. Again, guys coming in the outside, I was even thinking of Adam Eda there a little bit. <laughs> Lads, you know, when the goals were flying in for part of the Femi, you consider how Adam Eda was toiling a, a bit, you know, working tirelessly, not getting any chances, and you can see Parrot and Femi scoring screamers. Again, this hopefully provides inspiration for these guys to really kind of kick on and provide a bit more competition for places in this side. So, no, I think it's all positives here, Joe, to be fair. Bullied by that result and performance, the team uh, travelled to Poland to watch for the final game of the, the quadruple header, their return game against Ukraine. When I saw the team that was announced, uh, we, we knew beforehand that Egan was almost certainly out. We knew that Duffy was going to be out with his suspension and we knew that unfortunately Obafemi was going to miss it with an injury but it seemed like Kenny had learned his lesson from the Scotland game and he picked the same three players in midfield Malumbi, Cullen and Knight he put Hogan in up front for Obafemi a similar player not quite on the same level but you know that kind of target man pivot kind of player and we hoped that he would be able to interact with Parrot as well as Obafemi had uh, against Scotland and it was the game where Nathan Collins came of age the game had settled down after about 20 minutes Ukraine had their chances we had their chances and suddenly the ball broke to centre half Nathan Collins in midfield who proceeded to you know do his best Maradona Messi uh, Hadji go past four players before scoring a, a goal that has been described as Suarez-esque uh, with the outside of his boot. And, you know, so I think we might have an absolute superstar on our hands in central defence. At, at halftime, we're, we're leading 1-0 against a team that has you know, really outplayed us only a week earlier. And again, kind of similar to the Scotland game, we were wondering, where has this performance come from? And also... Why didn't we see it in the first two games? It was a great game to watch. If you were a neutral turning into that game, you would have been pleased because there was there was some great chances from either team. I think he just went with the same blueprint that he went with against Scotland and basically told everybody just to try and do the same thing. I thought the goal, which is, I suppose we can't talk about Anthem before we talk about the goal, the goal is just unbelievable because he wins the ball back in, nearly in his own half at the start of the move. And then suddenly is just, just dancing. What can you say about the goal? I've watched it about 50 times. It's brilliant. Overall, I thought it was a good performance. The killer was we switched off for the, the Ukrainian goal. It was just ball watching at the end of the day. 
I was looking at the Ukrainian goal, and I think James McLean takes a lot of, of flack for it. I know he is too far forward as a left wing back for you know when the the opposition are, are in possession, but Daryl Shea should take some share of the blame as well. He's too close to Collins and Lenehan. They're too far forward. There's a massive amount of space there in that left fullback slot. And when Yarmolenko exploited the space, the defence hadn't reset fast enough. It looked like there was two players, I think Collins and O'Shea, were doing the same job. Lenehan was sucked into the middle. And Dovbik, I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly, had a simple finish to equalise. Again, you could argue that it's kind of similar to the, the goal we conceded against Ukraine at home in that we were set up quite well defensively. And for 99% of the game, from a defensive point of view, we played very well. But we have one mistake. And at this level, when you make one mistake, when you're playing against a team with the quality that this Ukrainian side had, it's going to cost you. And it did. I think very harsh lessons to be learned there. I mean, yeah, you can play McLean, Dara, Shea, but I suppose collectively as a team, how did we regroup defensively, collectively? I think everyone can do it a little bit better. I think it's more the team defensive shape issue here. Granted, the initial break comes on the flank, but I think we do still have ample time to regroup a little bit. But uh, take nothing away from Armelenko. I think he's very composed, isn't he? Outstanding player that he is to spot his colleague literally free. Few players would have basically gone for glory themselves. So I think from that perspective, it's disappointing. It was two minutes straight after half time after the worldly from Nathan Collins. But to be fair to Ireland, and I have to say, I was very impressed by our back three. Collins just literally grew into the game in that central uh, defensive anchor. But you also Dara O'Shea and also Daryl Lenehan here, guys, who's been kind of in and around the fringes of the squad. He had been kind of excluded for few of the games there early on last year I was delighted to see him play and perform I think he's a very underrated player and I think there's another guy here that Stephen Kenny now can rely on in terms of a Nations League fixture or potentially European Championship qualifier so I think from that perspective another guy in the squad depth that we know can deliver so I think from that perspective Joe and as well as that we did finish the game very strongly you know, we were on the front foot. We were looking for that result. Both teams, I thought it was a splendid game, as Phil had said. You know, very much on the front foot. It's a great atmosphere there. And uh, to be fair to us, you know, we did try to create a few chances. VAR looking at a potential handball right at the end created a bit of drama. But I think a one-all draw was fair enough. I think just given both sides had good periods of dominance, thinking of Troy Parrott's chance as well. I think Troy would even admit himself that maybe could have done a little bit better. But... I think they nothing away from the performance. We considered the first half of this podcast, but we're very much doom and gloom in terms of Yerevan and also the Aviva when we played the Ukrainian side. This is a much different proposition from Republic of Ireland. As I said, we seem to have gotten our matchup spot on again. But again, this is international football. We shouldn't be kind of learning two games into a campaign where people slot in. So I think from that perspective... The managerial team here really have to go away and really reflect and maybe do more homework on their players, particularly come the start of the season, because we definitely need these players to be playing regular game minutes. I think, Phil, that was a super point in terms of you ran the rule through all the team against Scotland. They were all playing regular first team minutes, particularly towards the latter end of the season. 
and it's no surprise that a performance came and there was very much a cohesive unit. So I think from Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews and even John Eustace as well, I think really they have to reflect, they have to work hard, they have to start researching a bit more in terms of their players and what approaches or what changes they're going to make in terms of the Scottish game in Hampton and also when we entertain Armenia back in the Aviva Stadium in September. I was happy to see that, as you as you mentioned there, that the team was going for the win in the last 10-15 minutes, that there wasn't that same sense of defeat or the same sense that the result had already been decided like as what we saw in the home game against Ukraine. like There was still a chance that we could win this game. Okay, a draw, I think, perfectly fair result, and I've certainly no complaints about it. Uh, I think that the Ukrainian goal came from a, a lapse in concentration, and as I said, at this level, you just can't afford to do that. So, you know, having looked at the four games from the quadruple header in June, what, uh, what positives and negatives did you take from the fixtures? If we could start with the, the negatives... I want to say that we're still not seeing any real impact by the substitutes in the game. We didn't score in any of the four games after the substitutions in the second half started to come on. Mark, I know you were a big fan of Cuevin Keller's performances across the four games, but I think that we missed an opportunity to give Travers some minutes, uh, even if it was just in the first game against Armenia. And now... When September comes around, he still hasn't played a minute of football for his country since Serbia. Festi Evaseli, uh, likewise, didn't see a minute of football across the four games. I think he's the only outfield player named in the original squad that didn't. Uh, I know he had picked up a knock, and that's why he wasn't named in the squad against Scotland. But I feel like it's a bit of a waste. We don't know what his the, the plans for him were. But if, if it wasn't a near certainty that he was going to see any game time, I think he would have been better served with the under-21s. There's no way of sugarcoating this. You know, the Armenia game, it's another loss to a, a, a really low-ranking side and in a competitive game. Uh, you know, I mentioned that Stephen Kenny now is the first manager to lose two games to teams ranked outside the top 90 in the world by FIFA. And also the first manager to be held scoreless by two teams ranked outside the top 90 by FIFA. And... I'm not sure how much goodwill has been restored by the second two games, the second two performances, but I think a loss or at least a bad performance in September, maybe more so against Armenia, and it, you know it's 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 going to come back to him. I think in retrospect now, the comments that he made before the Armenia game that you know we're going to go to win to try and win this group, I think he he's just making a rod for his own back with those comments. I know we, we've said before that we want to see managers showing some ambition, but you know this is a tournament where we hadn't won a game until now, and we still only won one. So to think that we could actually go and top the group and then to go and lose two games, it just compounded the mistake that I felt he made with the comments. Mark, what did you feel were, were negatives from the games? I think you might have outlined a few of them. I think the Armenia result really did kind of Unfortunately, as you say, those pre-game, pre-tournament Nation League comments regarding topping the group, I suppose, maybe a cavalier comment from Stephen Kenny, but again, given the manner of that Armenian performance, I think, as I've said earlier in the podcast, I think it's one of our most disastrous footballing performances, period. Rank it with your Cypriot result, Joe. 
I think the negatives for me, again, is that inconsistency. It's, you know, the last two games, really, between Scotland and Armenia and Poland has really kind of shown what this team are capable of when they have a positive mindset. There's a bit of confidence in the camp. It's just that sheer inconsistency of whether this management team can figure this out is going to be the intriguing question going into September when we face Scotland and Hampton Park. And also Armenia, probably the tougher game in in Aviva, because literally Armenia will sit back again. And I suppose it showed negative things in terms of our attacking play. Whereas likes of Scotland and Ukraine, very open attacking style of play, pushing up, looking to create chances. Armenia were very much the opposite, looking to soak up pressure and hit us on the counter-attack. Well, I'd be looking, it has exposed maybe some creativity issues a little bit. When we play teams of that Armenian standard that literally do kind of defend well, where's the spark, where's that creativity coming from? And again, probably personnel cohesion issues there, certainly. But I think that was probably a negative for me. And just backroom management wise, I feel sorry for Alexa Wilkeen, CJ Hamilton, Mark Sykes. Remember Mark Sykes? He came into a squad. Hasn't been kind of featuring here now due to one thing or another. But I think these guys have to be given direction from Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews and John Hustis. Are they part of the long-term plans here? Because certainly you're looking under 21s like Connor Coventry, Will Smallbone, Tyreek Rice, guys of this stature, um, Odebiku, guys like this will be co- trying to come into the senior side. Where does Will Keynes and CJ Hamilton's of this world kind of fit in? So... It's all well and good calling these guys up, but we have to run the rule on these guys. And I would hope that CJ Hamilton, for me, looks a very exciting prospect from an attacking kind of wit perspective, or even from a, let's say, a wing-back perspective. I think, given his searing pace, he would add an awful lot of options to Ireland, particularly down the flanks. So I think that would be my negative here, Joe, is that, you know, I don't think the backroom staff and management really know the squad capabilities yet. And we're how many campaigns in. So I think that has to change really soon for, I suppose, this goodwill, as you've said, Joe, to really um, be restored. Thanks, Mark. And Phil, what were your your negatives from the four games? You've treaded a lot of the same ground that I was going to say. And it it seems daft that we're going in on the manager like this and the backroom team after we've got four points, one away from home against possibly the best team in the group. But at the end of the day, the Scotland game posed more questions than answers. I don't know, is he still learning on the job? I don't know, did he stumble into the formation against Scotland or did he pick it himself? His in-game changes still aren't great. He's not proactive enough in-game and four points is great. The big win is great, but it's not enough to convince me that we're going to go away to Scotland and pick up a point and get three points off Armenia. Like if you were to ask me right now, how many points will we get? In September, I, I would genuinely say I don't know, maybe two. Because two, we don't have anything more than two games to go on consistently. And it's his inconsistency that's really hurting him. Because I think he'd have more fans on board if, if he could just put more than a couple of performances together. We may turn up in Scotland and play well again. And I, that's what I hope. I hope we get two wins in September or at least four points. Because I know Scotland... They'll be looking for revenge and it's a tough place to go. But if we do get four points, we'll be looking at this as, as the group that got away because yeah. like that will be something we'll be looking at. And I realise everyone wants Stephen Kenny to be the be-all and end-all and I, you know, take us to the promised land. And so do I. I want every manager 
whoever manages the country or the under-21s to do well. But it's very realistic that we look back in four years and when we mention Stephen Kenny, it will be in such a breath as, oh, he gave that man his, his debut. And that may be his one big contribution to Irish football is that he's bred through a lot of these players that are coming on the scene now. And that might be it. And it might take another manager to take them on to the next level. I think it's very possible from what we've seen. And it will be a question that will occur if we don't get maybe four points in September. The question will come around, and it hasn't really come around yet. The question will be, will a different manager get better results with these players? And I think that's a question that really hasn't been asked yet because he's brought so many players in. But I think if he plays another settled team in September and he doesn't get good results, the question will be, well, can a different manager get better results with these players? So I'm still unconvinced. That's my that's my real negative. I think the only other negative would be it's not really a negative. We looked a whole lot more comfortable against Ukraine away than we did with Shane Duffy and the team Scotland at home. But it's not necessarily a negative because, as you mentioned, we have a lot of players. Daryl Ennehan is stepping up now as well, and we have a lot of players coming in. But the main negative would be Stephen Kenny and his inconsistencies. What positives did you take from the fixtures? I suppose first positive, Creeving Keller. We've seen an extended run of games for the Liverpool Netminder, and I have to say, seeing him in the flesh in Dublin against Scotland, I can see why he's so highly regarded in Liverpool. You know, real footballing goalkeeper, you know, really commands his area so well. And to be fair, you know, it's more competition in that goalkeeping spot. We've Mark Travers in the Premier League with AFC Bournemouth next season. We've Gavin Bazuna now announced as a Premier League player with Southampton. So I think that all bodes very well, I think, in terms of the goalkeeping depth chart. Obviously, the Troy Parrott, uh, Michael Obafemi partnership is really exciting. And I suppose the other positive may be uh, being the Dutchry man midfield. That, we, that has to happen along with a front two here. I think we're a different prospect when we have bodies in that central midfield and uh, you know our front two there of of, of Afemi and Parrott hopefully has maybe um, put a reality check for some of the other guys who maybe thought they were a little bit cosy in the squad the likes of Obeni and Callum Robinson now really have to work very hard in pre-season to really start impressing their club managers and really hit the ground running to get any sort of game time for Republic of Ireland so I think it all breeds very well for September in Scotland uh, Joe so those are my positives Phil what did you take from the four games Positives, I suppose, what it's all to do with youth, really, isn't it? The age profile of the team by the end of the fourth game was quite low. You know, a lot of the players starting the last two games were very young. Not a lot of caps between them, but all really took their chance and excelled. I'm looking at, obviously, Nathan Collins, first competitive start. Femi, first competitive start. Troy Parrott, we talked about Troy Parrott maybe a year or two ago, and we were wondering where his career was going. Did he have the head for it? He's gone down to League One. He seems to have really come on leaps and bounds, and he's taken his chances with the, this Republic team yet again and showed how mature he is. And really, I think the sky's the limit for him. He, he could explode this season if he gets the right move. Overall, I suppose it covers a lot of the players. You've Knight and Malumbi. You know, you could easily see all these young players start the next game. No problem, and you wouldn't be worried about it whatsoever. Mark mentioned Cleveland Kelleher. The options in goal are, are, as we know, very, very good. And it's not that it's we have a couple of young players coming through in certain areas of the pitch. We have young players coming through all over the pitch. We've got Darrell Shea, we've got Nathan Collins, we've got our three goalkeepers who are incredibly young. In midfield, we've got Malumbi and Knight, 
And up front, really, everybody's quite young up front. I know we have Scott Hogan and Will Keane there, but if you have Obafemi, Ida, Ogbeni, Parrot, there's four players without mentioning a couple of others. If they're all fitting, hopefully playing for their, their teams by the end of August, mid-September, we have this, this serious options there. So I think that's the positive overall. I think in the morning, if you told me in the morning that we were changing the manager, I'd still look at the team and think this is still going to be a team in the right direction because we've all these young players coming through. For me, uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think Collins, even without the goal, I think he was he was the player of the, the four games for me. He attempted and completed the most passes. Only two players attempted more than 200 passes across the four games, and the other one was Josh Cullen. You know, he's been talked about as a player who's going to leave Burnley and will return to the Premier League next season. I think he has to start uh, in the games in September. And really now the competition is who's going to be that third centre-half. When you think Darrow Shea, Lenehan, Andrew Amabamadeli will hopefully all be available to the manager. Shane Duffy's position possibly under a little threat. I don't see him being dropped, but I think now with the emergence of the players that we have at centre-half, I wouldn't be as apprehensive about not seeing him in the starting eleven as I would have been, say, not even 12 months ago. The formation, either by, by luck or by design, we seem to have found this 3-5-2 formation that's getting the, the best out of the team. The comparison between the performances between Ukraine and Scotland at home is basically night and day. And the difference for me is the third player in central midfield, meaning we've got a box of six players in front of goal. And when you've got someone like Knight, who is an excellent link player between midfield and up front and is, is a goal threat in his own right, you know, that's the spine of the team that you can build around. You know, our options at wing back mm-hmm. are, didn't look possibly as good as they can be, but I think James McLean grew into the role. I think Stevens it mightn't be the right use of his talents. And in September, we'll hopefully be seeing a face Matt Doherty back playing regularly for Tottenham, not just in the Premier League, but possibly in the, the Champions League. Obviously, we, you know, we lost the first two games, but I think we're still quite well organised defensively. You know, we've only conceded more than one goal to England, Serbia, Portugal and Belgium under Stephen Kenny. And we do have that defensive solidity to build on. It gives you a chance. Thanks, lads. Uh, a lot to, to think about there. And we'll finish now with, I know, the fixtures in September against Scotland and Armenia are three months away. But what do you think we're going to see in terms of the lineup for those games? I do agree with you, Joe. I think we missed a trick with Mark Travers just to put, integrate him back into the international setup. But I suppose, was that plan absolutely ditched after the Armenian game in Yerevan? Maybe starting with a strong side look to get the three points and then maybe build on. I don't know, but I think Travers will be getting significant game in the AFC Parliament. But I suppose Bazunu versus Kadahar. And I would hope here, Joel, for the Scottish game, that we are picking an 11 that are playing regular first-team football and not what we were seeing in Armenia where one or two guys are not playing any football or very ring-rusty. I think we need guys that are playing regular team football, uh, to be perfectly honest. I would probably go... For me, if Bazunu is playing in goal for Southampton and Kelleher is on the sideline in Liverpool, granted how good Kelleher has been, particularly in the last two games in the Nations League, 
I think you go with Zunu. Then, in terms of, uh, you're obviously going back three. Collins has to be an automatic starter here, surely. John Egan, if fully fit, should be getting in there. And then you have a toss-up between Shane Duffy, Darrell O'Shea, Darrell Lenehan. So probably, I can see Stephen Kenny being loyal to Shane Duffy. But again, Shane Duffy's club career, it's at a crossroads at the moment, Brighton Hove Albion. Pure and simply, he needs to get out of Brighton and start playing regular team games. If not, then I think you're looking at probably a Darrell O'Shea, who probably will get into that first-team squad at West Brom, or a Darrell Lennon, who's probably going to the Middlesbrough midfield three. I suppose Josh Cullen picked from one of the first names in the team sheet. Malumbi, if he's playing regular te- first-team football, West Brom, gets in there. And Jason Knight, Wings, maybe Seamus Coleman, potentially. Matt Doherty comes into the picture there as well. I would probably go still McLean on the other flank, really. He doesn't let the side down, and the, his energy levels are were superb. And then a front two. Again, we'll see what Michael Obafemi does early season, but if he continues his form... He has to be the starter, and Troy Parrott as well. Again, all depends on his club situation. I think you have to play those two, just given the potential that they've shown against Scotland particularly. That has to be tapped into, and may put the fear of God into that Scottish defence as well, after what they did in, in Dublin. So I think that would be my starting lineup. I don't think mine is going to be too far away from that either. Phil, who do you think the manager is going to pick? It's hard to know because the games are coming a bit into the season due to the season starting so early. Um, Josh Cullen and 10 others. <laughs> True. Where's yeah, Josh Cullen going to be playing his football, by the way? With the company gone from Anderlecht. That's another question. But really, it's jo- at the moment, it's Josh Cullen and 10 others. I would agree Bazunu is our number one. I, regardless of how well Keller played these games, I still would think Bazunu would be our number one because... He's playing full-time, and he's been playing full-time when he was playing for us before, so I, I don't see how Kelleher gets in over him. They're both amazing keepers, but really it's it's Josh Cullen, and, and then you just build the team around him. Like Hopefully Malumbi and Knight keep playing games. I would start the two of them. Matt Doherty, lads. Matt Doherty, left side, very capable. Very, very capable playing on the left, left wing back. He's done it for us before. He's played centre-back for us before. So if there was a way of squeezing a couple of players into the team, I could see him playing left wing-back if Coleman was back playing well. And really up front, you just hope Parrott and Obafemi hit the ground running again. There's a lot of different contract issues and situations and players moving. We don't know where Troy Parrott's going to be, you know. So it's really just, we'll just have to see. But I'd like to see players play who are playing all the time or who have had good to the season that's the main thing and obviously play them around Josh Cullen because I think he's he's Mr. Undroppable for us now because he plays the role he plays so well My starting 11 looks I think pretty similar to the to what you guys have, have both picked I think Bazunu is the, the number one and if he's playing regularly for Southampton then he's probably going to start both games Collins has forced his way in, into starting uh, centre half in the back three I think he will stick with Shane Duffy beside him purely from an experience and leadership point of view. I don't want him to be plan B, but he might still be that, uh, you know, when we're one nil down with five minutes to go, push Shane Duffy up front. I don't want it to be plan B, but I think Stephen Kenny might just keep him there for that reason. And I think beside the two of them, um, Daryl O'Shea, I think he looks uh, really good. He's... Uh, come back from a serious injury he's gotten back into the West Brom side with relative ease and yeah I, I think he'll definitely be part of the, the starting 11 in September 
that still leaves John Egan, Andrew Amabamazelli and Darrell Lenehan out of defence. Any one of them could come straight in uh, without missing a beat. In terms of the wingbacks, I think James McLean is chasing down 100 caps for Ireland and uh, I think he'll probably will start in that left wing back slot possibly because there's no real obvious replacement for him at the moment. I think Andy Stevens, he doesn't really have the pace for the role and he's much better as a, as a standard fullback. And I think on the, the other side, it's going to be Matt Doherty. I did think that in, in the Armenia game, we actually missed Doherty coming off the right there. And, you know, he did add a lot of support to Hendrick in the games where the two of them played together. And unfortunately, what that means is that Seamus Coleman is going to be dropped, which at the beginning of Stephen Kenny's reign, we all, you know, decried that decision to pick Doherty ahead of him uh, against Bulgaria. But now, two years down the road, I think the player himself will acknowledge that he's coming to the end of his international career. I think he'll still be in the squad. I think having him uh, as part of the setup is going to be his role going forward. We mightn't see him start too many games between now and the inevitable announcement of his retirement. I think in midfield, as I said, either by accident or design, we found this this triplicate of Cullen, Knight and Malumbi that works equally well as a shield for the defence and as a creative outlet for the, the forwards. Cullen maybe sitting a little deeper, Malumbi playing in midfield and Knight, if you've ever played football manager, possibly with a, an arrow indicating where he's, he's going to be running forward from midfield. And then up front... I'm really sorry we didn't get to see more of Parrot and Obafemi playing together because what we did see from them against Scotland was phenomenal. And I know Parrot is going to be going back to Tottenham where he's not going to be guaranteed a starting spot. If Harry Kane is fit, then he starts. And if Son is fit, then he also starts. But I think Conte is the kind of manager that knows what the effects of a Champions League campaign does to a squad. And... Look, I I hope to see him as part of the Spurs, you know, match day squad, if not the starting eleven in August and September. And then Obafemi is going to go back to Swansea, energized from his his first international goal, his first competitive start for his country. And when Scotland see the two of them lining out against them, they're not going to be happy about it. Phil, you've talked about the the inconsistency under Kenny, and I don't want to make any predictions about how things are going to go, but. Anything less than four points from the two games would be seen as a disappointment. And then we'll have the draw for the European Championship qualifiers in October. And so we come to the end of a a marathon podcast, possibly the longest one we've ever done. I hope you've enjoyed the chat with myself, Mark and Phil about the four games in June. Unfortunately, the August international friendlies are a thing of the past. We're going to be taking things quiet, I think, now until September. We'll talk to you then.